family. A couple of years ago, Bill Kaffer, my dear friend, told me about Wendy Diamond. Wow, was I ever excited when I met her. Actually, I was going to the United Nations to receive a Pioneer Award for Women's Entrepreneurship Day there. Wendy was the founder of that organization. And I learned later she was the founder of so many other efforts that have improved the lives of people, of animals, and uh, quite candidly, Wendy is one of the most out-of-the-box thinkers I've ever met. I believe you're going to enjoy our conversation. She's making impact in over 150 countries, and her mission is to economically empower women in business as well as to alleviate poverty for all. Welcome, Wendy Dunn. Wendy, 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 welcome! Thank you, Janice. How are you? Oh, I'm so wonderful. Wendy, it's so exciting to have this opportunity to talk with you today. Listen, you are a social entrepreneur, impact investor, animal advocate, humanitarian, best-selling author, and television personality. You founded We Do Women's Entrepreneurship Day organization, which we are gonna talk about, LDP Ventures and Animal Fair Media. That's a lot. For anybody who doesn't know you personally, it sounds like a whole lot more than one person's achievements. Yet, Wendy, you continue to innovate and advocate. To help us explain how you've chosen this incredible path, let's get started from your beginning. What was growing up in Ohio like for you? I know you oh as a girl. You know, anyone who meets me, they're like, you're not from Ohio. And I'm like, yes, I am. I mean, the only reason I am who I am and where I am today and speaking to you is because I'm from Ohio. I grew up in a town of 2,500 people. Uh, it's a little town outside of Cleveland called Chagrin Falls. And it's mm -hmm. got, you know, brick roads, waterfalls. It was super, you know, normal and, and amazing. And I loved my upbringing, all the good and the bad. I love everything about it. Talk about it a little bit. What was good about it? What was bad about it that you care to share with us? Of course, of course. I'm pretty open. Um, I think I just love the small town. You know, growing up, you know, you knew everyone, right? As a child and as a girl, you know, I was I was able to do everything. I played Little League with the boys. I like did everything. You know, I was a tomboy growing up because my I have five sisters and I was the youngest and my parents last try, they were hoping for a boy and they got me. And so, you know, I was a very, very active kid in sports and everything. But when I hit um, uh, 15 years old, I got hit by a car and I like went deep into like the windshield. I broke my head, my skull, my nose, half my teeth. Um, I was in my lower left leg. I had uh, three fractures. And so I was in traction for about eight months of my life that year. And, you know, in that year, you know, I always crack up about this because, you know, all I did was eat French, you know, I'm a very picky eater and I've been a vegetarian since um, I was seven years old because my family was in the food business and I ran into a, a, one of the um, freezers and there were 300 cows hanging. And then like I walk out and I see one of the chefs cutting up one of those cows and I was like, I'm never eating meat again. Anyway, so like, so like that whole time I was eating French fries and pistachios and watching soap operas. And I always, and I would just sit there and be like, oh my gosh, 
I want to live that life. Right. And it's so funny, like how, like, you know, I mean, it's like, I kind of wish I didn't dream that, but whatever, it's all good. Um, so that year, uh, you know, about a year after, you know, my life became normal again, but I was never able to play sports again. Like I was right. Like I did. And, uh, one day I was riding my, um, you know, and then literally I had, you know, my parents basically about a year after, uh, whole lives basically collapsed. So I mean, we're a pretty prominent family there, you know, and um, my family in Cleveland, but my dad was kind of the black sheep, you know, he was super nice, but always got in trouble and things like that. And so basically at 16 years old, my whole life was disrupted. You know, I ended up, you know, my mom actually um, became mentally ill. My father um, ended up running off with someone. And so I was kind of on my own at 16. And I lived, you know, on my friends' couches and, you know, with my sister at some point. And I had two jobs and went to high school, you know, never thinking, you know, just kind of surviving. And when I graduated high school, I had the worst grades because I could not get in, you know, I couldn't focus at all. My whole life was disrupted, right? And so what happened is I had a conversation with my aunt from San Francisco and she's like, you know, we're, you know, she didn't really understand what was going on in my life. You know, what, you know, when you're a kid, you don't know how to talk about problems, right? Or you don't need to, you know, it was kind of like, you know, you don't talk about things, right? So I basically, you know, she said, you know, you need to go to high, you know, college. And I was like, what? I can't get in anywhere. I had the worst grades. I think I graduated with like a one six or something. And she's like, you know, I found the school in Boston. Why don't you go take four years? I'm going to cover it. Just pay for your spending money and books and I'll cover it. And don't worry. And so I ended up going to this old finishing school turned four-year liberal arts school for women. It was like 300 women. Uh, in Boston called Pine Manor College. Now, 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 Wendy, you're going to have to explain to many of our family what a finishing school is. Okay, was. it's so funny. Like, I wouldn't know either, right? Right? But when you research it and say, many of them are not familiar with that. Okay, you know, well, they, didn't so know, they didn't know the yeah, yeah. and the Now, excuse me for not maybe knowing the actual years, but back in the day, right? You know, when it wasn't common for women to go to college and things like that, like very prominent families would send their girls to finishing school. I think this might have been even in like the 30s and the 40s and the 50s, you know what I mean, that time period. And um, what they would do is they'd learn, especially this school, right? Because it was at that time, like a two-year uh, college, they would learn, you know, how to have etiquette and be, you know, a great wife to the, all the Harvard men, right? But that changed. Um, Pine Manor became a four-year liberal arts college for women. And if I didn't go to that school, we wouldn't be on, we wouldn't be here today. I mean, that school changed my entire life. How? Um, because when I went to that school, you know, where I grew up in Ohio, I thought there was nowhere else to, to live. Like, I was like, this is the greatest city in the world. This is the greatest place in the world, right? You know, I'm the type of person, though, everything's, you know, great wherever I am, you know. And so anyways, but when I get there, you know, I was at college with with girls that were living from Saudi Arabia and Indonesia and all over the world. And literally in college, I ended up just being friends with people all over the world. And I never even, you know, I ended up dating somebody from Turkey and like Morocco and all these things. And I would have never understood, you know, about the world and the, you know, being a global citizen if I did not go to this college, because we were in Boston and, you know, we would all hang out, all the kids that went to school together at La Rose in Switzerland, like all went there. And my roommate in college 
went to that school in Switzerland. So all I knew were her friends, right? Mm -hmm. So if you ever saw the, the original movie Coming to America, mm -hmm. that was my life. Literally, because I was the club promoter. So I had to work, right? So I was the club promoter for like the Euro, you know, night. And so I, everyone needed to know me. So I literally, they pay me a hundred dollars, whatever, to get into the club. And they would, you know, you know, throw champagne at each other and dance all night and so forth. And so like, that was like the beginning of me understanding the world and being open-minded to the world. And after college, um, you know, I dated, you know, uh, someone from Turkey, I moved to Istanbul, Turkey with that person. And that's where I ended up my entrepreneurial career. Well, after, you have wait, wait, yes, by the way, I sent 100 resumes out, like literally after college, and nobody even called me back or hired me. And like, you know, when I, you know, I realize now, as I'm a little older, right, not mentally, but you know, chronologically. And so I realized then, like, you need, an, you know, that like, I look back and I'm like, I didn't have, I didn't understand network or connections, you know, that I should have used somebody's name to get a job or things like that. Cause I didn't have that at, you know, I didn't have parents to help me or any of that stuff. Right. So that's when I went to Istanbul and then that's where I started my entrepreneurial journey. Well, your entrepreneurial journey has certainly helped the entrepreneurship for so many women. Let me add that I have benefited from it as well. It was so incredible to join you and, and these fascinating women at Women's Entrepreneurship Day at the United Nations, no less. And you presented me with a Pioneer Award in November of 2022. That was a phenomenal opportunity. First of all, it was like a homecoming with people who some I had met and some I had not met. I saw my dear friend, friend Lorreen Arbus there. And mm -hmm. I also got to meet uh, supermodels and entrepreneurs in tech. And oh my goodness, I got to be in your presence. Why did you start that? Why is that so incredibly important to you? So, you know, again, I've been an entrepreneur my entire life, you know, so after, you know, starting a company in Europe where I brought Valentino Ungro, jean Frey into Russia, literally during the time that nobody trusted the Russians. And I was able to create that business with somebody I knew from college. And um, after doing that for a couple of years, I moved to New York. And when I got to New York, you know, you could take a girl out of the country, but you can't take the country out of the girl. You know, I'm still from this small town in Ohio. I'm still friends with everyone I grew up with. I'm, you know, I'm still that same person, right? So when I got to New York, I befriended a homeless person who um, used to sit like right in front of the Plaza Hotel. And every day I would see him and I'd be like, you know, I could get you a job, you know, I could help you, you know, what, and I will never forget him saying, I make more money here than I would ever make at McDonald's. And that kind of triggered something with me where I realized, like, I really want to figure out and support homeless people. So that's when I volunteered my time. And uh, for six months, um, I fed a thousand people per week as part of the Coalition for the Homeless. They have a van program where they would like give people like, you know, a, a cold ham sandwich, an apple and a milk. And these people, when they'd get those meals, you would see these smiles, you know, whether they even had teeth, right? They would smile and they'd be so happy. And I would do that every day and then go home and be at like the hottest restaurants with my friends and look around and be like, wow, if they knew what I did today, right? And that's- well, 
it, yes. it's incredible you're talking about that because homelessness is at the top of the discussion across the world today and especially for those of us who are living in the USA. Political campaigns are being run and decided with it as a key topic of concern and families and parents are talking about it, sometimes falling apart over their perspectives on it, um, especially as it impacts outdoor time for their children here in Los Angeles, where I'm sitting right now, is creating an area of divide really oftentimes for friends and neighbors. So you got involved in volunteering with the Coalition for the Homeless. And I, I'm just curious to know, was your engagement stronger than simply humanitarian? Um, did the experience with the Coalition for the Homeless frame your perspective on homelessness? I mean, first of all, you know, at that time, you know, we're talking 20 years ago, right? So it was different. And I actually think homeless people were different then. I, you know, mental illness has become so much more broader and more deeper in the last like couple of years, especially with COVID, you know, but at that time, you know, very few people were speaking about it and it was not prevalent in the news and so forth. So that's when I decided, you know, like I want to, I want to do something to help. You know, I was 23 years old and I realized like, wow, if I could create a cookbook with all the celebrities and get all the celebrities to donate their favorite recipes, we could raise money for these homeless people. And I, I thought about that when I learned a friend of mine did it for their family. And I'm like, how'd you do that? And she's like, oh, I just paid and I got a custom, I, you know, customized the book and I got it done and I gave it out to my whole family. And I'm like, wow, I could do something like this. So that's when I created my first cookbook called A Musical Feast. And I did it with all these famous musicians at the time, like Madonna and all these people. And uh, that egg was on Oprah. I was on Howard Stern. And we raised literally uh, over $300,000 for homeless people. And uh, that supported the Coalition for the Homeless, Empty the Shelters, which is no longer around. But that was a program that was in about six cities across the United States, including San Francisco and Atlanta and LA. And so I did that. And that's when I really realized like, wow, there's nothing better than making an impact, you know, cause all I could remember on that journey and, and, and what I learned from that was, you know what, it, when you really care about something and you're so passionate about it and you understand it, I understood the problem. You know, I spent a lot of time, six months with homeless people, seeing where they live, seeing what they're doing, seeing like, you know, really they were humans, right? And so by doing that, I realized like, you know, my whole life, I can't do anything that doesn't matter in this world. And that's not going to make a bigger impact. Wow. And, you know, wow. I, was I really can't young. do anything to hear you say, I can't do anything that's not going to matter if in this world. That's huge. And you're talking about food and homelessness interchangeably. Food is both insightful and delicious as ways to learn about the environment, culture, and the personal aspects of our lives. Um, so you talked earlier about your experience as a child, seeing the animals hanging, and it influenced you to be a vegetarian. You've talked about the cookbook. Are you still passionate about cooking today? I, I, I have to believe you're passionate about feeding today. <laughs> well, first of all, I mean, I'm a vegetarian, right? So I don't, you know, there's like unlimited, right? Number one. And so, yeah, I mean, you'll see, like, it's so crazy. Like my whole life has become like circular. 
you know? And so, you know, after the music cookbook, I did the same thing with athletes, like Michael Jordan and everybody. And we did again, we were like, it went super successful. And that was when I was like living in New York. I was, you know, literally realized like, wow, you know, how, you know, you can do anything you want in this world. I mean, I had to learn self-publishing. I had to learn everything because I was an entrepreneur doing this. You know, wasn't anyone paying me. I had to learn how to get sponsors. And I, you know, and I love the word no. Cause like, you know, for me, you know, keep telling me no, because I'm going to find someone that's going to say yes. And that was kind of how that journey went. Right. And I literally, it was like, and I learned from that, that everyone in the world wants to help. You just have to make it easy for them. So like I would go out there and I'd be out and I'd say, oh, you know, I'm doing this cookbook to help the homeless with all these famous musicians. And that was like on that journey, I would meet like the hairdresser, you know, for, um, you know, Cheryl Crow or I'd be, you know what I mean? Or something or I, oh, my cousin is the bodyguard for so and so. And that's how I put the whole thing together. So I understood at a young age that like people care, you know, but you just got to make it easy for them, you know? And so, yeah. That, well, yeah. Well, while I'm not certain you have institutional data on this, there are varying, even if intersecting reasons, people land homeless. Talk about these and tell us what percentage of cause for homelessness you think can be attributed to poverty, because you mentioned just a few minutes ago, a few sentences ago, actually, that the homeless today are different than the homeless then, referring to when you first began uh, became engaged. I, I, I think we can all listen uh, and learn a lot from you on that. Can you talk about those dynamics of, of, of separateness and intersectionality around homelessness? Well, I think, you know, the, the problem today is what we're seeing. And I, you know, I'm not, I'm not an expert at this and I don't want to go deep into it, but yeah. you know, I kind of look at like what's happening now, you know, with immigration and, you know, we're, especially in New York city where we've got over 40,000 people that have been bussed over here from Florida and Texas, et cetera. You know, it's really interesting. Like I, you know, and I look at this for like what I do today with like, you know, with all the entrepreneurs I support and advise, et cetera, as I, you know, you really need people out of the box. And I feel like, you know, in the political arena, you know, you're, you're listening like to these people that have, you know, not really lived outside of the political world. A lot of them, right. Except Bloomberg, et cetera, like a lot of those different politicians. And, you know, personally, you can't band-aid that situation. You really need to find solutions to help them with job training, mental health support. And by sticking them, in, especially in New York City, into a hotel room where we're paying taxpayers money of you know close to sometimes $500 a night for these people to stay, the key to the game here is to take them outside of cities and put them in a space where they can you know, be, have an open mind and be in a community of support not when they can walk outside and meet a drug dealer, you know, not where they can walk outside and be pressured with all the stuff that's going on. And there's so much opportunity, you know, whether it's in upstate New York or in, in um, little outskirts of Los Angeles, where there's, a, you know, a lot of hotels and a lot of places that would be less expensive for governments to take and would take people out of 
the situation that the where they can easily get access to what's probably causing a lot of the homelessness, right? And so my thoughts, you know, when we think about this is, you know, taking upstate, you know, uh, hotels, renovating them, making them into facilities where they can get job training, they can get mental health support, and they can be in nature to get back on their feet. And if they decide after six months of taking, you know, this type of, um, you know, escape and to be getting rehabilitated, they could decide whether they want to go back to a city or they could decide that they, you know, want to take that job training and get a job. And, and there is so many companies out there that have, you know, I'm a part of true, um, uh, Defy Ventures, which takes people that are incarcerated and puts them through an entrepreneurial program while they're in prison. And they have like a 90% success rate, right? Because, and then they have all these major companies that will hire them, you right? And so they have futures. And and of that, of that program, I think it's like less than 10% actually go back to prison, you know? And if you look at the statistics, you know, if they don't go through this program, it's like 90% go back into prison because they don't know what to do when they get out of prison, right? And that's another, you know, reason why there's a lot of homelessness in another way, right? So I think what we really need to do is find solutions and not band-aid the problem. This is huge data that you've given us in the end. And by the way, this is my data of being realistic. I mean, you know what? You know, I don't pretend that I had the best schooling and I'm educated, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, it's reality. You know, yeah. you know yeah. if, you know, Mayor Adams listens to this, shame on you for taking the hotels in great neighborhoods and, and putting these, you know, migrants and homeless people in there because they're never going to, they're not there. This isn't reality. You're not going to be able to live in the middle of New York City. My greatest gift I do for myself is have conversations with the Uber drivers and taxi drivers that have spent their whole lives, you know, immigrating here, working, and they're so proud to be Americans because, and, and the, all of them mostly say, don't be choosy, you know? And, and they work hard and they, you know, and they're proud to be here and they didn't expect a place to live, right? And here's where we've got all these people and a lot of these leftist groups, and they can come after me, I don't care, you know, that think that we should just give them, you know, hotel rooms in the middle of the city and, you know, give, give, give this. You know, the world is a capitalist society. And that's what our foundation, you know, and we'll go back to that. But that's what our foundation's about, giving a hand up, not a hand out, right? It's not a way to train people. And that's not what America's about. Well, Wendy... That's that's so much that you and I probably should have a whole conversation <laughs> about that at some I mean, time. It's just like, yes. I want to go back to like what I did after the home, the cookbooks, because I think you'll understand where my whole life went. So I mean, like, just I, you know, so what happened with after the cookbooks in, and this was in 1999, I literally like was like living in New York City and I grew up with animals. I love animals. There's nothing better for me than having my dog and like, and so forth. And that's when I learned that 12 million animals were euthanized in a year when I went to the city shelter and I adopted a purebred Maltese and a Russian blue cat. Tasha and, and Lucky. Yeah, and those were, the, those were the animals that literally inspired my whole life. Like, I literally, when I did that, I came home and I started researching and I realized 12 million animals, 3,000 years. And that, and that year, and that time period, 
Nobody was talking about adoption or rescue. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. You said you said 12 million animals you've got here, but these are animals you're referring to who are being euthanized annually, right? That was in 1999. 12 million animals were euthanized a year. Nobody was talking about adoption or rescue. People magazine never had uh, celebrities with their pets in it. You never saw TV shows. There weren't dogs up for adoption on TV. You know, at that time, and that's when I realized, because after doing the cookbooks and self-publishing, right, those cookbooks and being on Oprah and selling hundreds of thousands of books and helping, I realized, wow, if I could bring celebrities and pop culture to the animal rescue world, we could bring that 12 million um, animals euthanized a year down because and that was animal fair media yeah 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 yeah. because i knew right because like i am that person you know i grew up in ohio i had pets i knew if everyone knew you could adopt any breed any size any age any color one eye three eye you know perfect at, at you would decide to adopt versus buy so that's when i created the first ever media company to bring celebrities and pop culture, the animal rescue world, animal fair, fairness to animals. It was a little take on vanity fair. And that's when, you know, I created the first ever pet fashion show in history. No one ever created a pet fashion show, but I knew if I could get famous fashion designers to design one of a kind dog outfits and have celebrities walk them down the runway with a rescue dog, I knew I could, you know, create this whole movement. Cause I, you know, Again, it goes back to my thinking, everyone in the world wants to help, you know, we just have to make it easy for them. And so by doing, yeah, so that's what I did. I created the first media company. I thought, I mean, Perina, like, okay, Perina, I'll never forget having the conversation saying, we can't support you because you're putting dogs dressed up in clothing. Today, they do a huge dog fashion show. You know what I mean? So it's kind of like, you know, I was working. And then, you know, I had a lot of people against me, like the AKC was against me because they're all about breeds. You know, they don't care about rescue because they don't make money from rescues. You know, so they wanted me dead. I mean, I went through a lot at that time. You know, I created Yappy Hour. I created that term. You know, we would go across the country uh, to bring awareness towards adoption. You know, if you're single, adopt a dog, you know, like, and, and I, you know, 10 books out, five TV shows, three Guinness world records, a wing named after my dog at the Humane Society, millions of uh, dollars raised for animal rescue across the country. Um, and, you know, I had a primetime show on CBS. I was on the Today Show. I then got a stalker that completely ruined my life. When, you know, we hear these stories about, and they're disheartening stories about the treatment of animals and what you're sharing now, I really want to, if you're up to it, have you share with us how, how that stalker ruined your lives. Your oh, life. sure. because- yeah, yeah. I used to like, wait, Jess, I used to like about, I don't know, maybe seven years ago when I talk about it, I break down. Now yeah. I look back on it and I'm like, oh my God, thank you so much. I mean, cause this stalker, it was a woman. Uh, literally like propelled me to the coolest, like most more impactful life ever. And so I'm actually grateful for it. And it's one of the things I learned in life really young is, you know, everything's a positive, whether you know it in a day, a year or a decade, right? Everything we go for, go through in life is setting us up for bigger and better. And that, you know, you're going to learn something from it that you're going to look back on and say, wow, I'm so glad I went through that and learned from it. And, you know, some things might be harder, you know, and more difficult, 
but there is, you know, a positive lining to everything we go through. So what happened was, you know, it goes back to, you know, at this time, of course, you know, this wasn't prevalent and people didn't understand how this worked. But um, in 2011, um, you know, I have millions of followers. I was on the Today Show every month. I had just got off a primetime show called America Loves Dog on um, CBS. You know, I had 10 books out, how to understand men through their dogs, how to train your boss to roll over, you know, like doing all that stuff and having so much fun. And, and every day I would get a dog adopted a day. And, you know, through my social media and the whole thing. Um, and what happened was uh, this person I knew uh, literally, I, I I was always nice to her, you know, I, you know, she wasn't like part of my world, but I was nice, you know, when if I'd see her, I'd be nice. I'd see her once every six months or something, get something. Anyways, it was a woman that was jealous of my boyfriend who created, oh. you can't make this up, and who created 50 anonymous email addresses to defame and slander me. So it wasn't public. It So she would stalk me. I'd put on like uh, Facebook, um, I'm going to be on the Today Show Monday. And literally the Today Show would receive 50 emails from John Doe, you know, Debbie, Debbie who, you know, like all these different people with the pretty much the same stuff defaming and slander me. And what I call those people that, you know, literally took action, I call them enablers because all they had to do was call what was in there and ask the people, you know, if they would just call the Humane Society of New York or any of those organizations and say, you know, did Wendy steal money from you? They'd be like, no, she's our biggest donor. Mm. You know what I mean? Mm. And mm. so that was happening. And that literally within about a year and a half, my whole life like fell apart. You know, I literally was like, I was like, you know, and it was really dark, but in my head, I always had, cause you know, I grew up with like crazy stuff when I was, as, when I was younger. And like, when you go through stuff, when you're younger, you, you're, you become really resilient. Do you know what I mean? You just really realize, you know, and I realized at a young age and I'm great, you know, and, and especially like my parents, like they were, you know, they weren't like the best role models, but like they were the greatest, you know, when my dad was at, you know, on his deathbed, I will never forget saying, thank you for being so crazy. Cause if you were so crazy, I wouldn't be who I am today. I mean, he taught me so much that I don't want to be right. Like, you know what I mean? And I did the opposite, even though he was the sweetest guy in the world, he always got into trouble and did things wrong, you know, and gambled and all that kind of stuff. And so, you know, it just turned me into someone who just only wanted to do the right thing, only wanted to help. So anyways, fast forward, you know, uh, you know, Jimmy O'Neill, the police commissioner of New York was trying to help me. You know, I had the FBI, everybody. And what we realized is she would go to Starbucks and the libraries to send the emails so we could never track the IP and catch her. I found 10 other victims and literally there was nothing we could do. But what I have to say is that led me to being able to take care of my father at the end of his life. I wouldn't have never had time before, right? Because I was so busy on TV and doing all this stuff. And that's when I made a commitment to go to two new countries a year for the rest of my life. And it was like the end of, um, it was, I will never forget. It was like the end of the year and I call up Amex and I'm like, you know, where can I go? Cause you know, if I make a commitment to myself or I can make a commitment to anyone, I, you know, I honor that commitment. Like I'm one of those people, like, you know what I mean? Like, I just will never let anyone down. And so um, I literally, they, I'm like, where can I fly for free? Cause I had millions of miles and they were like Honduras. And I'm like, oh, perfect. It's right next to, it's right next to Nicaragua. And that's when I ended up going, not realizing it was the murder capital of the world. 
And that's where I ended up in Honduras in a boutique hotel in the jungle. And I was watching birds with all these rich people from England that like are obsessed with birds, you know, mm -hmm. they're bird mm -hmm. watchers, you know, mm -hmm. I'm like, oh my God, the guy at the hotel, if I watch another bird, I'm going to go cuckoo myself. I got to get out of here. Is there anything else I can do? And that's when he said, you know, there's an organization that gives microloans to poor women. You know, I know the development director. It's a two hour drive. It's beautiful. It's safe. Go check it out. And that's where my journey and, and how I learned about women. And I learned that 1% of venture dollars went towards women founders. I learned that these women getting microloans were paying them back at a 98% rate. 90% of that money would go to educate their children, provide for their families. This was data for millions of microloans given to women. You know, when women are empowered in business, especially economically, they won't allow human rights violations, right? And so when you think about why it's so important to empower women, that was that journey. I ended up, you know, volunteering for the Adelante Foundation in La Ceiba, the, one, the most dangerous, you know, murder capital of the world. And I'll never forget meeting a 72-year-old woman. She had three little kids. I'm like, oh my God, how'd you have these three little kids? And she basically said her daughter passed away and the husband ran off and she got the $100 microloan from Adelante and was you know, able to open up you know, her window in her one-room hut with the dirt floor where she slept with those three grandkids and sold Cokes and toothpaste. And every and they could pay a dollar a month for those kids to go to school. And she was so proud, you know? And, you know, and the stories, and that's when I was just like, wow, I could do the same thing I did in the animal world for the women's world. You know, I could create a day, create the conversation. And that's when I came back to New York and got at that time, Governor Cuomo and Mayor de Blasio to proclaim the day. And that's when I went around the world to all my friends from college and my life and said, who in your country in the cities are the greatest people to bring governments, women who were able to bring governments, business leaders, civil society, entrepreneurs, investors together to collaborate, to find solutions, to economically empower women. And that's how Women's Entrepreneurship Day was created. Wow. Wow. You know, before I go. <laughs> one sec. I got to get my dog. One sec. One sec. One sec. Get, 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 get. Okay. You you know your person is welcoming your lap on this conversation. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Come here, come here, come here. Yeah. Check it out. Yeah. Oh, oh, come on. You know, I know he just came and look, he wears the little things so he has clean paws. Because I won't let him come to bed with me if he doesn't have clean paws. Oh, oh, oh. That's so, so funny. Sweet. You know, I can tell you right now, um, one of my media aides, Nathan, who leads my media efforts, uh, has his dog with him right now in South America. And he is probably going crazy listening to us right now and the work you do with the animals. And my daughter, Kay, who you've not yet met, Wendy, is going to thrill when she learns what you're doing with animals because my, in particular with dogs, because my grandpuppy, Ninja, uh -huh. uh, is just an incredible, incredible 14-year-old. Uh, uh, so she's got a little bit of arthritis right now. Oh my God. Uh, but she still thinks she's a puppy. Yeah, they're the best. I, you know, honestly, I can't live without a dog. Yeah. Like, I literally love them more than anything. I mean, he's so funny. Like, watch, watch. 
and he'll just sit there and like hug me. Oh, oh. And that's the funniest thing. Oh, 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 the love that you bring to what you do is incredible. Wendy, now, you know, I already mentioned you as a businesswoman, author, investor, animal yes. advocate, and TV personality. Girl, you are busy. I mean, in the legacy meaning of that word, okay? Yeah. And I mean, by the way, I always say to people, and you probably know this because you're beyond successful, uh -huh. Uh -huh. always ask a busy person to do something. We can always find time. Well, you know, I've heard that said before as well, but many people who do a lot less than you experience difficulty finding the hours in a day to get even smaller lists accomplished. Wendy, tell us how you balance your responsibilities and please share some of the strategies you use to stay organized and focused. Now, I'm asking you this because I watched you in action, having arrived early for my honor, yeah. on Women's Entrepreneurship Day at the United Nations, I saw you pulling together an event that was stellar, that deserved global media attention. I don't know what you're doing with the footage that you were able to gain from some of it, but it has to be shared, particularly in some of the schools with younger girls and women and young men, regardless of how people identify, to be inspired, to be taught, and to be... Um, I think to be given that sense of, yeah, it still can happen today for me. Um, how are you balancing your life? Give us those strategies. Well, first of all, you know, every, you know, so listen, it's not easy, right? I'm a positive person. So I, you know, listen, our movement has been appropriated. Uh, we have been, you know, by pretty prominent people, we've been killed and, you know, sponsors we've had been taken from us and da, 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 you know, like it's just, you know, but one of the things about, let's say Women's Entrepreneurship Day, it's not, a, you know, I don't do this for fame, money or power. I do it completely because I remember that woman in Honduras. I remember what that microloan did. I know, you know, I know firsthand you know, what we're doing, you know, and I understand the impact that we've had, you know, because of Women's Entrepreneurship Day, for instance, when we launched in 2013, we launched at the UN in 2014, you know, UN women wasn't even recognizing women entrepreneurs, you know, um, you know, at that time, uh, that's when de Blasio launched WeNYC, a program here in New York City that is a, an ecosystem builder to support women entrepreneurs of New York City. You know, we're the reason in Los Angeles that Mayor Garcetti at that time dedicated millions of dollars in the budget to fund women entrepreneurs. You know, so, you know, with the impact that we're having around the world is, you know, for me, it just reminds me. So as much as I'm getting beaten up and like the whole thing, I'm like, just, you know, I love it. You know, I love, you know, and I think what it how is- How do you balance it though? Okay, I mean, how, I'm gonna tell you, okay. How do you do so, that? Okay, I'm gonna go back to something a little wacky, but you know, this is, this is it. Um, about 20 years ago, um, I was, or, you know, when I founded Animal Fair, I was working 24 hours a day. Nobody cared about animal rescue. I was, you know, desperately trying to do this, you know, and it was like, you know, my first cover, I had Renee Zellweger and her dog. We, you know, we had all these people and it was just really a fight, right. To do it. Um, it finally caught on, but you know, it was a fight. And I, I literally, I was dating somebody at the time and he smoked. And you're gonna be like, why is she going through this? And it's kind of interesting. Um, and he smoked and he got me to smoke. And I'm a health nut. I'm a vegetarian who works out. You know what I mean? I'm just like a total health nut. And I started smoking and I'll never forget. And, and she, if 
this ever comes, she'll crack up because I always say thank you to her. Um, this woman, Claire Weinrob, she was a producer at 2020. And she was an old friend of mine. And she said, you know, Wendy, let's meet for lunch. Everyone needs to eat. And I'm like, okay. And I go and I go meet her. And I had the patch on. I had Nicorette gum. I was smoking. I said, take me to St. Vincent's I'm gonna have, if I have a heart attack. And she said, you know, we just did an episode on 2020 on this man called the Mad Russian in Boston. She's like, you should just go. Harvard spent $30 million on a study on him. And, you know, and he stopped smoking. They couldn't figure out what he does, but just go because it works. And I literally went the next week and in one hour and $65 cash. And if I ever need to go back, I would never have to pay again to this guy. I learned, first of all, I stopped smoking, never smoked again, stopped drinking any Diet Coke or anything processed. Um, I um, work out three times a week religiously because I made that commitment to myself because of him. I, um, uh, I never eat between meals. I eat three hours before I go to bed and probably I never, I stopped biting my nails. I never bit my nails again. And, but the most important thing he taught me was I learned how to control my mind, the way I see, think, and feel. So meaning I never go dark. Do you know how like you sometimes like, you know, you go and you're like, always oh, me, my life sucks, you know, and blah, 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 blah. Whenever I go there, and you know how we used to hear like, oh, you could change your mind in a second. Well, you really can, you know? So I learned from him how to control my mind. So number one, if I'm not going to worry about it tomorrow, I'm not going to worry about it today. So I don't let little things, anything bother me, you know, traffic jam, a rude person, you know, a kooky customer service person, never, I don't care, you know? And one, and then I really learned, you know, the way you see, like you see, like, okay, you're the most beautiful woman, right? That's what I see. Some people might say, oh no, you know, she's not. I only like, you know, I only like, you know, black haired woman, right? Right. You know what I'm saying? So yes. I, I see what I want to see and I only want to see positive things, right? And the way I feel, I will not let anyone like, you know, ruin my day. Like I, it, cause I know I control my life. Right. So, so I know like when I start thinking dark, oh, this is too much. I'm overwhelmed. I'm like, get over yourself. I mean, you didn't have to do this. You chose to do this. And so, and, and that helps me, you know, I just learn how to control my mind and the way I see, think, and feel. And let me go back to saying I work out three times a week religiously. You know, people, I don't know if you read that article in the New York Post about a guy that spends $2 million a year on his health. Did you read about that? He sold yes, I did. Yes, I did. I read into everything he's doing. I already do 75% of stuff he does. And I'm not paying, you know, more than... Uh, ten dollars a month to go. Are to you talking about the guy who lives in Venice, California, and takes think, all the yeah, 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 yeah. I yeah. let me give you the tips on what he does, and it's what I've been doing my whole life. I go to bed at the same time. I wake up at the same time. I work out three days a week. I do. I lift weights. I lift eight machines, ten sets each, three sets. I do thirty minutes of cardio. I do slow, then high to build up my heart rate. I'm a vegetarian. I, our bodies are not meant to, you know, digest processed foods. 
If you're eating a lot of processed medications and foods, it's screwing up your whole body. It's getting stuck because our bodies don't know how to process that and digest that. Right. And so like, you know, I watch everything I put into my body. I make sure I get the protein. You know, I, I love protein shakes. You know what I mean? Like I just do that. And, but the most important thing is your mind and just, you know, and I don't, you know, I'd rather be alone than negative people. I'm not scared of being alone. I'm not scared about, you know, like, you know, things. And I think it's just, just kind of keeping that. And again, you know, people are like, well, how does she do it? Well, remember, you know, you've got to look at people's backgrounds, right? Like my background, I dealt with up and down, up and down. So I'm really happy like this. I never, I don't need to be famous. I don't need power. I don't need money because I really know what what makes people happy and what makes me happy. You know, it's great to, you know, be comfortable and it enables me to do what I want to do, but it's not, it's not a driver. Like I don't need, you know, things. Wendy, my personal definition of success was defined by Earl Nightingale. So to me, success is the progressive realization of a worthy ideal. You're talking about success tactics. We've all likely heard some version of uh, what the mind can conceive and believe it can achieve. Happiness is a choice. I recall years ago sitting at University of Southern California, fight on, uh, sitting there front row center uh, when the Dalai Lama was talking. And the thing I took away from his conversation was that everybody wants happy. We keep asking this question over and over again about what do people really want? How do people achieve success? What's your definition of success? You started to lean in a little around the things you don't need. What do you need beyond a dog? <laughs> I mean, what's I, I never want to feel successful. I never want to feel like I've done it or I did it. You know, I never want to feel that way. I love the journey. Like, I just love having a bigger per, you know, and always trying and trying to make it. And, and let me go back to like, what led, like what happened? Cause I think you're going to get what I'm like, what happened. Yeah. In that. Okay. okay. And wait a minute, Wendy, Wendy, before yeah. you do that, you talked a big accomplishment from the time you spent with this gentleman the week after your friend from 2020 recommended him to you. And by the way, by the way. Was that one hour? Was that one, just one hour? hour? And literally he never advertised once in his life. He's got some books out and literally if you needed to call him or just talk to him, he would never charge you. He's an angel in our lifetime, literally. Mm. And I probably share the story about him and that's what he said is that the people that it works will do it. And if you Google him, you can, you know, Google Mad Russian boss and he'll show up. And um, yeah, so that, you know, so that is really what's kind of, I will, it, it's a, it's a factor of how I've been able to do what I do. And it's been a factor throughout my whole life. And, and again, you know, it's taking, you know, and, it, and I've had to pivot, you know, my whole life, I spent my whole life creating the animal rescue movement and creating pet life. I created the term pet lifestyle and yeah, PR. And, you know, I had this huge life and it all fell apart by one person with a bunch of fake emails to defame. Has that ceased now? Did you complete? Yeah, yeah, but she can't hurt me now. It's like, it doesn't matter. You know, it doesn't even matter. And by the way, I saw her and 
you know, she apologized, you know, uh, 10 years later. And I said, you know, I'll accept your apology if you go public about it, you know, and, and, but I saw how dark she was and I felt bad for her. You know, I feel bad for people, you know, usually the happiest people had it, have had it the worst, you know, have had difficulties, you know, right. It's like, you know, the people, you know, so I, you know, I look at that as just the greatest gift. Like, thank you so much, because if she did not ruin my life in the animal world, I would have never created Women's Entrepreneurship Day. You know, it, uh, thousands and thousands and thousands of impoverished women have received our microloans. We created the first ever women in disability startup cohort to help disabled women become entrepreneurs. Google for Startups is now funding it. This would have never happened if we did not do this. Our ambassadors, we have amb over 300 ambassadors around the world representing our foundation in their countries. And we give them the toolkit to you know, bring governments, business leaders, civil society, investors, entrepreneurs together. So what we did at the United Nations is happening all over the world, including your town of you know Los Angeles. And you know the impact that we- And Vegas, Vegas, Vegas. Oh, yeah, we in Vegas actually. And so like, you know what, I look at it like, it's just, you know, thank you to her. And then, you know, it came out, you know, I always say to people like, be open, right? I'm a yes person. Yes, I'll do it. And I'm open to everything. Like, okay, I want to learn, right? Embrace technology, like embrace everything that comes your way because you know what? It's happening quickly. And, and this is kind of what happened with Women's Entrepreneurship Day. Um, in 2014, my team in Africa introduced me to a goat farmer in Botswana. And this goat farmer, she um, had a son that had really a, a, a really deadly disease. And she was desperately trying to figure out how can I pay for my son's health care? I, I don't know what to do. And Botswana is not like the US, you know what I mean? It's a little more complicated. Right. And um, he passed away. But on that journey, she learned about Bitcoin. And she created the Satoshi Center in her one room dirt floor hut. And, and I learned about her in 2014. And because of her, I learned about Bitcoin. And that's where I learned about how, you know, I believe it's the most, you know, high integrity deflationary financial instrument ever created to enable the two and a half billion unbanked who are mainly women financial inclusion, right? And why is it high integrity? I mean, I don't know if your viewers understand Bitcoin, but why is it high integrity? Because the founders of Bitcoin, uh, when they created it in 2008, right after the housing and financial crisis, and who did the government bail out? Not the people, they bailed out the banks. And the banks got the money. People had lost their homes, lost everything. Five of the smartest cryptographers came together. They said, we can't use our names. The government will shut us down. And they created a fake name. And they created a fake name. And they put it out on block, uh, blockchain, which is the most innovative technology in the world. And it enables traceability transparency, immutability to enable peer-to-peer -peer tr uh, transactions without the need of lawyers, the governments, the banks, right? And why is this high integrity? It's the first time in history, the history of man and womankind that a government or people do not control the currency. The founders didn't care about fame, money, and power the three evils that are destroying our world, right? They created a fake name, so they have no power. They created a fake name 
So they have no fame and they've never transferred or spent one of their Bitcoins. They're probably the richest people in the world. And you've never, you'll never know their names. And that is why today, you know, this is the biggest global currency and it will be in the future. But I got into that in 2014 because of my foundation and because of a goat farmer in Botswana. And because of that, you know, I got into this whole ecosystem and got into impact investing. And now, like, you know, I have to say, like, it's the greatest gift because now, you know, I help fund and advise some of the most smartest women entrepreneurs in the world that are really making incredible impact, you know, including, you know, Base Paws, where I met this woman who was creating the 23andMe for pets, you know, who literally just came off a shark tank and 23andMe for pets was basically her idea was Base Paws that you would sell that data to the pet food companies and the pet health companies so they could create better pet food to help your pets live longer and better medications to help your pets live longer. And I got involved in that company and I brought in all the investment for that company, you know, well, not all, but most of it for their seed round. And then introduced her to a lot of the big pet health companies because that's my background. I know all the players, right? And they ended up selling to Zoetis, what the biggest pet health company in the world at 40X. So like my whole thing now is helping these women entrepreneurs, you know, to, you know, make, you know, a positive imprint in this world. And to well, help this world become a better place. Well, Wendy, you know, you you do so much. And while we don't advocate for anybody's beliefs, anybody's positions, whether it's Bitcoin or whatever, you have achieved a lot. And how do you curate that and create, if you will, um, advice for our young people. I don't know. We call you an activist. I don't know if you have no, been no, 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 in any no. way. Uh, you not, certainly are. Not I'm a do-gooder. I'm a do-gooder. Yeah, you're a do-gooder. Like, all I want to do is do good. Listen, you're a do-gooder. We, we, we have something in my community we refer to as doing well and doing good at the same time. How do you because many of the people who are a member of our family are entrepreneurially spirited. How do you curate your experience, your knowledge, and offer some advice to them on how they can do well and do good at the same time? A hundred percent. Find something, you gotta find purpose. Why are you why are you working on whatever you're working on? And how is that gonna drive you? And when you think about it, it's not work right? Where you're so passionate about it that it becomes part of your lifestyle. Everything that I have done is part of my lifestyle. Everything, it's because I care about it. And I think number one, purpose. And, and purpose brings passion, right? Because you have to be so passionate about whatever you're doing. Because let me tell you something, there are a few overnight successes. I have certainly, like I did not get, it's, it took me a, you know, 20 dog years, you know what I mean? To like become, you know, what, you know, I was able to finally become in life, right? And I feel like you have to have passion. You have to have pur purpose. You have to have perseverance. Just expect 20 no's to every yes, right? And, and remember, the most important thing is everyone in the world wants to help. You just got to make it easy for them. Talk to people, you know, br bring your community together, you know, whoever it is, because everybody is an expert at something. 
right? It's, you know, everyone has had experiences enough to be an authority on something and everyone can contribute to the success of everyone if you just enable it and let it be. When and how's your mom doing now? Oh, so both my parents are up in heaven. You know, I, and this is so funny. I always say to people, now I can't do anything wrong because they're always looking down. <laughs> it's true. I always think that way. That's beautiful. I read somewhere, I believe, that you hold three Guinness World Records. Is this true? Yes. Yes. And I'm going to get another one. Okay. And so, yeah, my Guinness. So the first Guinness World Record, this is funny. So the first Guinness World Record. So, you know, when I created Animal Fair, you know, Paris Hilton didn't even have dogs at the time, right? Like we're talking way before. Howard Stern and Beth Stern got into animal rescue because of me. They started coming to my animal rescue events. And that's how they got into, you know, supporting the North Shore and the things like that. So I was like a I was a pioneer in the space, right? And one of the things is my dog, um, Lucky, had separation anxiety. So I would always bring my dog with me in a dog bag, right? Mm -hmm. I, I was the type to be like, oh, here's my dog, right? I would just keep put my dog in the bag and he would come with me. It's just, you know, part of like my bag. And one night, um, one of my best friends from growing up in Ohio invited me to a dinner party with Valentino and I went. And at this dinner party, it was Valentino, Sandra Bullock, um, Hugh Grant, um, Nan Kempner, who was a very famous socialite in New York, and uh, Jean-Carlo Giametti, who was Valentino's partner. And it was mm -hmm. this dinner party. And I'm literally there with my, my best gay friend from growing up. And I'm looking and I'm like, gosh, no one would ever believe I was here. And at this time, you never took pictures of people you did not know. I mean, it's only come now that everyone takes pictures of people and they don't even know them, right? Oh, and look, I'm with who, you know what I mean? <laughs> and so I'm just sitting there and I was like, oh my gosh, I can't believe this. Like, I'm like, I'm in shock. You know, don't forget, I'm from Ohio. This isn't my life, right? <laughs> and I'll never forget, I took out my disposable camera. Remember those? I took, <laughs> I took out my disposable camera and I'm like, Hugh, to Hugh Grant, I'm like, and if you Google Hugh Grant and Lucky Diamond, you'll see the picture. Um, I, I Googled, I, I, I said to Hugh Grant, my dog is your biggest fan. Can I take your picture with my dog? And then all of a sudden, like Valentino was holding my dog. I'm taking a picture. And then, it, well, the, it all became because um, Rafe, my best, my, my dear friend said, hey, Valentino, Wendy brought her dog because Valentino loves his dogs. And that was when Valentino was the first one to hold my dog. And then when Hugh Grant held my dog, I was like, oh my God, I take it. So I started taking pictures with my dog and I created a column in my magazine called, my Animal Fair magazine called Who Got Lucky? And it was like, <gasps> and it was the sexy dog column. It was the sexy dog column in the magazine, right? And like, I would talk about, you know, like the events we go to that were supporting animal welfare and rescue. And I would, you know, do that. So I literally had about 700 photos from like, you know, from like Kim Kardashian and my dog, you know, Kanye West and my dog, um, President Clinton with my dog, President Obama with my dog. And it wasn't like paparazzi photos. It was like, I was at an event. I had my dog and it was like, now it became like my column. So one night I was at a dinner and someone was there from Guinness World Records 
And my friend was like, Wendy, you should get a Guinness World Record. I'm like, what are you talking about, right? And, and she's like, why would, you know, we started talking about it and she's like, oh my gosh, you should have a Guinness World Record for the dog most photographed with celebrities. And that was my first, you know, Guinness World Record. And you have three of them. What about the other two? That okay, was incredible. That was incredible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So then, then my dog who inspired Animal Fair, Lucky Diamond, got diagnosed with cancer. You know, one out of three dogs, uh, you know, get cancer. And, it, you know, it was like my whole life. That dog represented the animal rescue movement. That dog, you know, literally was the reason, you know, I got into animal rescue. And if that dog, you know, what would, you know, what you see today in the animal rescue world where people and, and everyone's got their celebrities and pets and now there's Instagram pets and a whole thing. None of this, you know, might not have happened if we did not create animal fair. Right. And it was like my <laughs> whole life. Right. And so um, everybody in town, when they learned my dog was dying of cancer, were calling me, what can we do? How can we help? And a friend of mine was running the Essex house on Central Park South and said, Wendy, we'll donate the ballroom. Let's do a memorial. Let's do an event. And then um, one of the greatest people I, I've known in my life uh, was named Harriet Rose Katz. And she was the most you know, prominent event, you know, uh, wedding person in New York City. She would do, you know, if, if like a bank was doing a million dollar, you know, wedding or meeting, she would do it or she would do the most biggest weddings and everything. She called me up hysterically crying and she's like, oh my God, your dog can't die. Like, what can I do to help you? And then I got a call from a producer at TLC, you know, the network. And, yes. and they were like, we really want to do, uh, you know, a dog wedding on Cake Boss. And so my memorial turned into a wedding and then the wedding, the Essex house said, we'll do the wedding. And then um, Harriet Rose Katz was like, let me produce it for you. And literally I'll never forget when we were sitting there at the Essex house and she's like, well, what about a band? And that's when she called Hankling Orchestra. And the next thing you know, we have a in one in one minute, we got a 24 piece orchestra donated and wow. it, they don't even, they never even, they didn't even think when Harriet Rose Katz called them and said, I'm doing, um, I'm doing a benefit to support animal rescue and dog cancer and in honor of lucky diamond, my dog. Um, they literally, there wasn't one second. They just all said yes. So we had Floralia, the Waldorf Flores gave us $50,000 with the flowers and a hoop, a hoopa where they got married. And then we had Triumph, the insult comic dog, you know, was the officiator of the wedding. You know, they never, though, and, and my dog ended up marrying a um, poodle with blue hair from Richmond, Virginia. And they never had to live or sleep together. They just had to support animal rescue and welfare together. And so they got That's married. a good marriage. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They never bought lots of puppy love. And so um, that was it. And that was, uh, and, and literally it was over $300,000 of donated stuff. So we didn't pay, but we raised enough money for a wing at the Humane Society of New York to help people who can't afford critical care for their pets get mm. critical care. So, and it's called, it was, you know, the Lucky Diamond Cr Critical Care Ward at the uh, Humane Society of New York. So that was the second Guinness World Record. And the third. Most expensive pet wedding in history, but I didn't pay for it. Um, <laughs> I would never, you know. And so, and then the third one was the Lord Mayor of London was in New York and it was like a reception for him. And 
And that night they were like, we're going to get a Guinness World Record. So literally that, that night we spent two hours curtsying. <laughs> and so I have my own Guinness World Record of the longest curtsy reel. So that was what it was. You know? Well, listen, um, when I asked my mom about a word someone was using and I said, oh my goodness, they're using profanity. My mother is this very Southern woman, Wendy, who you will meet. And she said, oh, Janice, don't you understand? All cussing ain't profane. And so <laughs> I, I, have to, I have to think about it that way when you talk about getting a, breaking the world uh, record for cussing, okay? Curtsying. Uh, <laughs> Curtsy, you know, like the queen curtsies? Yeah, yeah. Not cupping, curtsy. Curtsy. So, remember, curtsy. she did like Meghan Markle pretend she didn't know how to do it or something. You know what I mean? Curtsy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, now that's pretty good and it's pretty healthy too, right? You felt yeah, a little yeah. sore after that. But Wendy, observing your many achievements that are so philanthropic at core, you more than have a heart for humanity. You're a student of the world. Don't you think that's true? Don't you think that plays into a lot of what you do and who you are? Well, I mean, when you define student of the world, what does that mean? In, in talking about you and in thinking about you, your core offerings through your organizations, through your energy, through your network, certainly in my case, you are connecting people, no matter where they come from, to how they wish to live. And, and, and from what I've learned about you, that's about people learning to live together peacefully, ambitiously, and with a lot of joy. And that's how I see you as a student of the world. Yeah, like I just believe that we, you know, we're on this earth for a short period of time. We can mm -hmm. walk out the door tomorrow and be gone. And so I think it's just so important to live a life of integrity, right? Mm -hmm. And I think bringing that word back to society about integrity, because at the end of the day, you know, it's especially with technology today, you know, you have to really look at like who you are as a person, right? And, you know, if I, you know, die tomorrow, I will have the biggest grin on my face because it's been the greatest ride. Right? I, I just, I'm like, thank you, you know? Oh, I love that. I love that. That's what your headstone will say, right? Thank you, world. <laughs> Listen, before we play our game four for four, is there anything okay. else you want to share with our growing family? Um, that you can do anything you want to do if you put your mind to it. There's everything out there to help you. YouTube, you know, AI at your fingertips to help you do what you want to do. And, and just, what's coming next for you, Wendy? What else have you got going on that you can share with us? It's our 10th year anniversary for Women's Entrepreneurship Day. So we have something really exciting. I'd love you to be a part of it, Jess. That is, uh, that is going to enable everyone in the world to be a part of Web3. And do you understand Web3? Talk a little bit about it so everybody can understand it. I don't um, know that we'll understand it fully, but give oh, us Janice, I'm the best to tell you because I'm not that smart. And I, <laughs> and I literally love telling people about this. Okay, because I get it. Like, I really get it. So what, you know, Web1 
you know, most, you know, mo you know, web one was like a static website. You had a picture, right? Web two, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, blah, 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 right? Where LinkedIn owns your data, Facebook owns your data, Instagram owns your data, and they make all the money, right? Web three is you own your data. You make money from your data. So that is what Web3 is. That is what blockchain and Bitcoin, the mother of this whole ship, enabled. And how's that connecting to your upcoming event? Well, I'm not going to say because I don't want other people to do it before we do it. But we are going to enable everyone in the world to be a part of Web3 in a very simple 90 seconds they will have something they will forever hold for their entire lives. You that got That will represent them and represent who they are. Wow, Wendy, you got us intrigued. I can hardly wait to see. <laughs> are you ready to go four for it. four? Are you ready to go four for four? I'm scared for four for four, but let's do it. Let's do it. Let's do it. Okay, so we're going to ask, I'm going to ask you four questions and you'll give me four answers to each of those questions. There are no wrong answers. I am so excited to play this with you and to hear your answers. Wendy. Let's do it. Okay, so Wendy, you get to invite four people to dinner from any time in the past to future. Uh, not, no, to present, not future, to present. Who's at your table and why? Uh, Chuck Feeney comes to my mind really quickly. Do you know who that is? The founder of, um, duty free mm -hmm. who has given all of his billions away while he's alive. Uh, I'd love to just understand why and love to, you know, kind of understand his mindset, because I think that is just one of the most incredible things that anybody could ever do. I would love to have, uh, Mackenzie Bezos, because I think, you know, she represents what I wish every billionaire represented and how she has just really been so authentic and had, you know, and has high integrity in everything she does and the way she's been giving her money away. Have you invited her to the next Entrepreneur Day? I don't know her. Okay. But I'd like to. Okay. Um I love Neil Diamond. So let's throw Neil Diamond into the like the dinner. Like I'd love to meet Neil Diamond. I think he married a blind person. And well, I just find that like, wow, what an amazing soul. So years ago, when I still lived on Venice Beach on Oceanfront Walk, um, the movie um, Jazz Singer, was filmed there. You know, it's had different incarnations. And yeah. Neil Diamond was in that uh, one. Uh -huh. And they filmed part of it at my home. That's my no Did you get to meet him? I love, yes, I loved him so, I mean, so he seems like I didn't really meet him when, I didn't meet him when they filmed there, though. I met him at a music event and he was so generous. You would have thought I was as important as anybody else in that room. Oh my God, him. I love that. Yeah. I, yeah, that's what I I feel like, you know, when I read all about him, I felt like that. Um, so who's your four? And he and he's saying that coming to America, that blew you away, right? Who's I loved it. Oh my gosh, Janice, have you received the Ellis Island Medal of Honor? No, uh -uh. I'm gonna I'm gonna nominate you. 
Okay. <laughs> I'm on the board of Ellis Island. Oh my goodness. Yeah, 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 yeah. And we do, and we do every year the most incredible, I mean, it's at, it's at Ellis Island. It is, it, it, you're going to be like, oh my God. I won't. Well, in my own way, I had to come to America. I came to America through the civil rights movement versus Ellis Island, but we all had to get here in some way with a with a very difficult journey from a very painful past, didn't we? Absolutely, absolutely. No, I'm Who's gonna... your fourth? Dolly Parton. Oh my goodness! Oh. I love her. I love Jolene. I love Islands in the Stream. I love, I just love her. I, I really do. I don't, you know, what I love is that music still had positive words. It was beautiful. It was, you know, and it's like I, what I listen today, it's just hard for me to like appreciate it as much as I love that kind of music. And so I love, you know, I'm definitely quirky and I love, you know, I, I think Dolly Parton would be the one. And Dolly Parton is who I'd, want, I'd also want at my, at my uh, dinner. Then I'm giving you another seat because I'm coming if Miss Dolly's there. Uh, Dolly yeah, is Janet, one of my By heroes. the way, Janet, I have to tell you, like, you yeah. know what? When we were introduced by Bill Capper, you uh -huh. know, I was like, wow, this chick is like freaking impressive, right? <laughs> I was like, yeah, I mean, she deserves, you know, the Women's Entrepreneurship Day Pioneer Award. I mean, you are so impressive. Well, you just stole like, my thunder because- Like literally listening to you speak and then like dedicating, you know, you only received like four or five minutes, right, to speak. And for you to dedicate part of that time to Maureen, you know, and, and the way you speak and how eloquent you are and how literally you're like one of the most beautiful speakers we've ever had, you know? So I am just so honored to like be here on your show and to be part of this and to know you because it's really a Oh, my, quick, 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 because you know, you've stolen my thunder. I was going to finish on a huge shout out and kiss you to Bill Capper. Let's just do it now for introducing Wait. us. We love you, Bill. We love you. And I know Bill will be listening. Um, the second one is what music, not audiobooks, music are you listening to now and why? Artists. Okay. I love Billy Esteban. Billy Esteban, I heard him when I was in Tulum. It's there's no words. It's the most upbeat, like you know, beat music to get you working and get you going and flowing. And and it's just really spiritual music. And I love that. I love Florence in the Machine. Mm -hmm. I love her music. I love everything about her. Um I because, because. I just think she's got, she's really, really talented and that she, you know, her words, I love her words. They're strong. They're, they're, you know, like kind of anthem, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And I think she just really is genuine. I, I, I like kind of, you know, so I wouldn't say anybody I didn't have respect for. Yeah, but yeah. With music, let me just, let me just tell you this on your, um, on your Dolly Pardon. So Dolly is one of my sheroes who I just love, 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 love. And I grew up on Saturday seeing the Dolly Parton and Porter Wagner show. And I remember Dolly being asked by some person um, how she felt about Whitney Houston's In Essence, uh, I will and I Will Always Love You, that song, yeah. uh, being bigger than hers was, reaching a bigger audience. And Dolly said, oh, I thank her because I earned more money on hers than I did on mine too. And just that really sense of 
joy and support of all the yeah, people that I she know. brings to what she does. Her music, her lyrics and her music translate across genres like crazy, don't they? I mean, few people do that, Lionel Richie does that, you know, but hers in particular, I think, because she's such an incredible storyteller, yeah? Yeah, and what I love about her as she's embraced Web3, she has created her next element through an NFT. She is just, you know, all about that. And I and and she has been a role model, right? Like a complete yeah. role model to everyone. And she was part of my cookbook, my a musical piece cookbook. Yeah. So I love her. And I met her at like the Songwriters Hall of Fame Awards when I was young. And we were in the bathroom. And she was this, and she looks exactly like you see her. Like mm -hmm. Perfect and so sweet. And you so see her heart before you see anything else. And I know she loves to joke and talk about, oh, I they they called her the town tramp, and that was my role model. That's who I wanted. By the way, I'm blonde because I wanted to look like Dolly Parton. Uh, most days I'm blonde. <laughs> Uh, I, I look, I'm heading to Cancun, uh, though, so I'll, 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 I don't know if I'll be blonde going there. But yeah, she, she really is. And you're that kind of person where you see your heart and you see your hope, you see your promise and your passion before you see anything else. That's what happened for me when I saw you. So you are, thank you, uh, thank you. So, 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 Wendy. What four books do you recommend to our family and why? Okay, I can't do books because my mind doesn't allow me to sit down and read a book. But uh -huh. I will give you the four best documentaries that will change your life. Excellent. I recommend everyone to watch Crip Camp. It's 100% on Rotten Tomatoes. And it is one of the most inspiring documentaries in the entire world. It was up for an Oscar. And it is a, literally about the reason, it's the reason why we have the American disability movement. In the 60s, they literally would put people away that were disabled into homes and lock the door. And this is a documentary that follows the first ever camp for disabled children. And you literally see these kids for the first time ever. And this is real footage, right? Mm -hmm. uh, the first time ever that they ever met a fellow disabled person. First time ever they held hands with someone. But what's really cool about this documentary is that those kids from that camp came back together about 10 years later in Berkeley. And they took over the federal building with the help of the Black Panthers. And that is the reason why today we have the American Disability Act. Well, and, I will, and I, that I, movie, by the way, I got obsessed. I searched for the disabled woman that's in her late 70s now. I searched for her and I found her. And I invited her to Women's Entrepreneurship Day. And we honored her as our human rights pioneer. And because of her, I thought of the idea of creating the first ever women in disability startup cohort. And now, as I mentioned, Google for Startups is doing it. So, you know, that I love, you know, all about that. And I think, you know, as we know, the number one minority in the world is disabled people. I am so grateful to you for bringing that forward, Wendy. My dear friend, Lorraine, who you yeah. just mentioned, her mom funded the Jerry Lewis Telethon 
and Lorreen shared with me that she had a sister who was disabled and her family, as wealthy as they were, um, her family couldn't stay in any hotel other than the Howard Johnson, I believe she told me, because that was the only hotel that would allow people with visible disabilities to be present in the restaurants. So here you've got this accomplished family doing incredible things across the world and they can't go to a restaurant for dinner in any hotel but the Howard Johnson. She became impassioned about that. Um, and she started to fund uh, the, um, the Jerry Lewis Telethon, as I mentioned, and she too campaigned and worked in DC. Well, that can her parents basically because her father founded ABC television. Right. Ones that pushed and supported that movement. And that's the reason why we have the American Disability Act. They also founded uh, United Cerebral Palsy Foundation. Yes, yes, yes. Cerebral Palsy. That was her yeah, sister. Yeah, no, no. Lorene is one of my biggest, you know, like I love and yeah. and been such every an- time, Every time I cross the street and see uh, 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 and see a curvature for wheelchair accessibility or get on an elevator and, and, and see space and go to a, a hotel and people will argue sometimes if they get a restroom that, you know, a bathroom that has, and I say, no, I, the only way I don't want it is if someone needs it and can't use it, you know, the opposite, because I learned so much from Lorraine about, um, about, how, we don't think about how challenging it was for people before we began to be more thoughtful about how we live together as humans. So thank you. Yeah. Number one on your list of documentaries. Yeah. What are the uh, other three? Okay. I'm going to go all movies. Okay. The second one I just watched that I thought was so beautiful, inspiring that everyone should watch. And it kind of goes back to what we've just spent the last hour speaking about living a small movie but it's an amazing movie about about a journey of um a man who spent his whole life working and what he does at the end of his life and that people should recognize that we should do it now not at the end right because you will feel so much better about yourself the more you give i promise the more you get mm -hmm. so living um the next movie, I would say Coda. I absolutely loved Coda. I loved about, you know, just the whole premise of, you know, the story and about, you know, how incredible uh, that girl was, you know, with her parents both being deaf and, and this story. And these movies, by the way, I tell people, like, I have a list. I'll send it to you, Janice, if you want. I have a list because during COVID, I couldn't get the grin off my face. I literally like researched movies that had over 90% on Rotten Tomatoes. I didn't care what it was based on. I would watch it. And that's how I stumbled across Crip Camp. That's how I stumbled upon a lot of these movies. I mean, there are some incredible movies that don't have the PR and marketing that I swear if people watch that, they would become better people. 
stop watching these murder, you know, these murder things and stuff like that and watch more positive stuff, you know? One of the guys who, one of the guys who uh, works in my company in, and he heads up my video um, and uh, photography team, his name is David and David just got back. Uh, he had just gotten back uh, from um, um, one of the um, movie uh, conferences and he was sharing Sundance and he was sharing, you're familiar with Sundance naturally. And he was sharing with me, he was so excited because he'd been talking to a guy who's uh, offered to produce his movie. I can't tell you a lot about it other than that it was inspired by his dog, uh, Tesla. And Tesla's this tiny little Jack Russell. Um, and I'm excited for you to learn more about it. So check with me when we're not podcasting on that. I will, I will. And I think the fourth one I would say that I, I I I loved more than anything, it's about a real life prince, is Barunga. And it's about a park, in, Barunga Park in the Congo and about how the all the oil companies and everything is basically destroying this country and the park and the gorillas. And, you know, my, one of the things in my life is I love, you know, love supporting those that are marginalized. So how do I, you know, and these gorillas, they're, you know, they could be extinct if we don't protect them and protect these nature preserves. And it's an incredible documentary about an amazing soul in uh, Barunga National Park who, you know, with the Belgians, you know, basically raped the country, right, of everything. And this is a real life prince from there that has basically moved there and for the last decade has been supporting that Barunga National Park and protecting the gorillas. And it's an incredible documentary. You've given us some, some uh, full weekend stuff. I'm, I mean, I think I'm gonna be here in my library on my couch watching these this weekend now. You'll be inspired. You're gonna be like, what? Yeah, I promise. Maybe I'll watch him go, watch him go. Uh, Wendy, that's awesome. Please, yes, feel free to share your list with us and I'll share it with uh, on my socials as well. So we're going four for four, Wendy. Four pieces of advice you share with the family listening right now. And if someone gave that advice to you, please give homage to them, share who it was. Importantly, tell us why you think this each of these pieces of advice is so important today for us. My piece of advice to people, it goes back to what I was saying before, right? Like that, you know, the best thing you could do in life is to literally control your mind the way you see, think, and feel. You know, when you, you decide in the morning whether you're happy or sad, nobody else decides that. And um, there was a woman named Tao Porchin Lynch, who was 103 years old when I saw her last. She was, um, she marched with Gandhi. She starred in movies with Marilyn Monroe. She was a Chanel supermodel. And she was a Guinness World Record for the oldest yoga teacher. And I'll never forget her saying a few things. One was when she wakes up in the morning, she says that this is gonna be the greatest day of her life. And that like, you know, when you wake up, you know, it's funny, I wake up and I, you know, and I think of her and I actually think about that. And I say that, you know, like this is gonna be the greatest day and that I'm gonna make it a great day, right? And what is a great day to me? 
is being able to give somebody advice or to be able to, you know, help somebody. And, you know, so that would be one of the things. She also said something really cool I that I always remember. We were at breakfast one day and I loved her. You know, I did yoga with her like three months before she passed away. And she was still doing yoga and had all the energy in the world. It was amazing. And I'll never forget, like when she was leaving, I was like, oh, bye, you know, see, you know, bye, um, Tao. And she grabbed my arm and she said, never say goodbye. Say au revoir. You know, she was friendly. And so, you know, so I always remember that, right? Like that's something. So I never say that anymore, right? Mm -hmm. um, okay, another piece of advice. Okay. Oh, shoot. Um, I don't know. I feel like I always um okay, then I watched an amazing um TED talk about a girl um who had a crazy life and was married three times and a crazy upbringing. And it's like, who who do you want to marry or something like that? Or the right person to marry. That was the TED talk. I don't know, but it's something like that. Wait, but make sure you, if you do put this out that you give it to him because it was really good. And it was about how she had these crazy <coughs> and she kept getting divorced and blah, blah, blah. And she finally realized. And to this day, after watching that, I do this. So she said, like, when she started going on new dates with people and she'd be at a, on a date, she wasn't looking as, as them as like a new boyfriend or anything like that. But every time, whether she liked them or not, she always left them with a piece of advice or something to help them. And that has always stuck in my mind. And that, you know, I try to do that. Anybody, you know, I always try to help everyone who asks me for help. I always make time for people. You know, I'm always trying to do that. And I, you know, whether I like them or not, whether they're mean to me or not, I always try to leave them with the positive. And, and you'll see, you know, when you do those kinds of things, things happen. It's very interesting. So that's another thing is just take everything as a positive. You know, you know, I really believe this, the statement of life is easy. People make it complicated. You know, look at your life. You know, what is making it complicated? Right. And figure out ways to make it simpler. Um, and then, you know, other pieces of advice. Okay. okay. This is a funny one I do. Okay. These are two funny ones. Okay. One, always remember the crazy, you know, is the crazy you're fine with. So any relationship, no one's perfect. People are all crazy somehow, but always when you're in a relationship, does the crazy, does the positive you know, outweigh the crazy. So is the crazy, you know, the crazy you're fine with. If it's not, move on. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And that goes- My sister My sister used to always say, you know what? I'm scared of anybody who doesn't have a little bit of crazy in them. <laughs> <laughs> but everyone does, they just don't admit it. Okay, and that's it. So the crazy, you know, the crazy you're fine with. So look at every relationship and do that, right? And then nothing good- happens outside the bedroom. Wendy Diamond, thank you so much for this advice. But nothing, wait, wait, nothing good happens outside the bedroom after midnight. So you better <laughs> go home or do that. You know what I mean? And that's another piece of advice. 
You set that up so beautifully. I love rejection. I love it because at the end of the day, you think you if they reject you, find find out why, because then it'll perfect you to getting a yes. Mm. Wow. Hey, I have enjoyed four for four this conversation. Most importantly, I enjoy that you are alive. Wendy, thank you so much thank from my you. heart thank to you. your home.